with you all tonight. Thank you for being back out tonight and for the opportunity to lead your thoughts along things spiritual. Um, it is important that we understand the scriptures, and times like these are, are good for us to study the scriptures together. Last week we talked about the rapture, and we showed from the scriptures when we compared the, script, the idea of the rapture with, the, with what the scriptures clearly teach about the end of the world and the second coming of Christ, that those two things don't harmonize. And so we concluded that the rapture is not a scriptural concept. After that uh, lesson on Sunday night, there was a question about Matthew chapter 24 as it relates to the rapture, because it is a passage that is used many times to talk about the end of the world and, and even allude to maybe there is a rapture. And so tonight I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about Matthew chapter 24 and ask if Matthew chapter 24 does give us signs about the end of the world and if it does indicate perhaps that there is a rapture that is coming. Uh, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus' disciples ask a question and his answer to that question has prompted a lot of speculation and controversy and even false doctrine in the religious world today. Uh, many are looking at the events listed in Matthew chapter 24 and comparing them with what's happening in the world today and suggesting that there is a correlation, that Jesus was talking about things that were happening in our time today. There are uh, events in the world. There are lots of uh, political unrest. There are a lot of calamities and natural disasters. Uh, there are a lot of other things going on that cause concern. And people look to passages like Matthew chapter 24 as perhaps an indication that the end is near and that Christ is about to come. Let's look at Matthew chapter 24 tonight. Fundamentals that we have, examine what it says. And let's remember some of the fundamentals that we have when we look at any Bible passage that we want to make sure that we let simple passages help us interpret more complicated passages. We want to let the context itself primarily define terms for us and explain what is being discussed. And we want to make sure that any interpretation that we make of any passage harmonizes with the entirety of the Bible. I can't go to one passage and interpret one verse in such a way that contradicts with any other passage in the Bible. And that's a problem with many false doctrines, is that that verse will look very much like it's teaching the doctrine that's being uh, discussed. But when I accept it as teaching that, then it would contradict numerous other passages that are very clear. And so I can conclude that that interpretation is incorrect, and I've got to go back and reevaluate my interpretation. So if you would turn to your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 24. But before we go to Matthew chapter 24, we have to start in Matthew chapter 23 to understand what is the context. In Matthew chapter 23, start reading with me in verse 29. Matthew chapter 23, verse 29, Jesus is pronouncing a punishment on the Jewish people in Matthew chapter 23. Look at verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets." Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that the sons of those who murder, uh, that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt, serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you. All these things will come upon this generation. 
Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so the setting, I don't know if you can see the type, it's small because there's a lot to put on the chart tonight. The setting here is of Jesus pronouncing condemnation of the Jewish people for their rejection of God. And notice that he says that this punishment is coming in this generation. He's going to reiterate that as we go into Matthew chapter 24. And so Jesus is talking about punishment that is impending on this generation. Keep that in mind as we go into chapter 24. Let's go into chapter 24 then quickly and read beginning with verse 1. In Matthew 24, beginning verse 1, Then Jesus went out of the temple and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat at the Mount of the Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us what then, what will, uh, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be, a fam be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to, in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, so are in Judea, flee to the mountains. Let him who is on, on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor, no nor shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great things, great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if you, they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of, the, of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of, heaven, of he the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with, a great, sound, with great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. 
But of that day and hour no, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. To then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing? Assuredly, I say to you, he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in my, his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and at an hour that he's not aware of and will cut him into, in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. <clears throat> and so in Matthew chapter 24, as we go into the context, remembering Matthew 23, Jesus is pronouncing punishment upon the Jewish people, and it was going to happen in that generation. They leave the temple where Jesus had made that proclamation, and they're walking out. Look at verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. The buildings of the temple. The, the temple and its surrounding uh, buildings and courtyards, no doubt, was an impressive sight. The disciples are showing that to Jesus. Were they showing him that with respect to what he had just said about the coming destruction? Perhaps. The fact that he's pronouncing destruction, well, look at all these impressive buildings. And so Jesus says to them in verse 2, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Jesus says that all of this is going to be destroyed. Destroyed to the extent that not even one stone is left upon another. Complete destruction. And so they go then in verse 3 to the Mount of Olives. Now he, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, if you get a chance when you get home, pull up Google Maps and look at the Mount of Olives and its relationship to the temple. It would be right in, in sight there. Just, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. So he has said something to them about the destruction of Jerusalem, that the temple would be destroyed. A natural reaction from the disciples would be, well, when is this going to happen? And so they ask him their questions. Now, there are possible explanations of these questions. The explanations go like this, that there is just one question that the disciples are asking. There's one question they're asking. All of this that they're asking in verse 3 is one question. Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? One explanation is that they're just talking about this event in general and they want to know details about it. They're asking one question. And when they ask just one question, perhaps they didn't understand what they were asking. They didn't realize that when they were talking about the end of the age, some translations say the end of the world, that they were asking about two questions. But they may have thought that the temple was such a fixture in their society that if the temple were to go away, that that would be like the world is gone. The, the world is destroyed. I mean, this thing won't move until the world has gone away. And so tell us, when is the temple going to be destroyed? And obviously that must be the end of the world. And so they're really asking one question, but they inadvertently asked two questions. 
is one explanation. Another explanation is that this is one question, and they did ask to understand what they were asking. They were asking about the destruction of the temple and the punishment of the Jewish people, and they understood when they asked that that, that that would imply that this would be the coming of Christ, because throughout history, the coming of the day of the Lord or the coming of the Lord has reference to, at times to God coming in punishment and judgment of a people. And so when they ask, when, what about your coming and the destruction? But that was one event, and they understood that. And they perhaps even understood that the end of the world, or as some translations say, the end of the age, they were talking about the end of the Mosaic dispensation. Maybe they understood that. It seems perhaps unlikely, but perhaps they understood that. And then there's an explanation that there were actually two questions that they were asking. That they were asking about two events, the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the world. You can make up your mind about what they actually meant passage, because we're going to look at, at the end of the day, I don't think it makes a whole lot of difference as how we interpret this passage, because we're going to look at Jesus' answer. And whether they were asking one question or two questions, whether they understood the implications of every question they ask, doesn't really matter, because Jesus is going to tell us here facts that we can learn about his statement. Remember, though, as we interpret Jesus' statements again, we're going to let simple passages help us understand more complicated passages. We're not going to interpret any passage in a way that forces a contradiction. And with that in mind, we have to look at a couple passages to help us lay some foundation as we go into Matthew 24 and interpret it. The first of those is 2 Peter chapter 3. Would you look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 tells us that there are not going to be any signs that would tell us that Jesus' coming is near. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. The day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. The world, when it is destroyed, it will happen as a thief in the night. Now, I made an example of a thief coming in the night and not giving you a call before he comes. Roland corrected me that thieves do that in Nigeria. They let you know ahead of time that they're coming because they're such thugs, I guess, and uh, have total disregard for the law that they will let you know they're coming. But generally, thieves don't let you come. No, they're coming. If I was a thief, I wouldn't let you know. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that Joseph read for us again. Verse 1 beginning, because we have to lay this foundation, and this has to be one of those, those posts that doesn't move, these facts that we can build upon, that there will be no sign before Christ comes. First Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning verse 1, but concerning the times and seasons, remember in chapter 4 he had just been talking about the coming of the Lord, the day of judgment. Concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write, should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Jesus, Paul says there's not going to be any warning, no sign. In fact, people are going to say everything's good, everything's fine. Now go on to verse 4. He does say, you brethren are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. This wasn't saying that the Christians had some type of secret decoder or secret message that where they would know what's happening, but the world wouldn't. No, it's what it's saying is they know that Christ is coming, and so they, they can be ready. Not that they know when he's coming, but they know he's coming, and if you know a thief is coming, you'll be ready. You'll have your doors locked. 
regardless of whether he comes today or he comes next year. If you know he's coming, you'll be prepared. And so they were, could be prepared. But the foundational fact is we don't know when the end of the world will come. There will be no warning. There's no uh, signs to tell you to get ready. There's no, nothing, no knock on the door saying it's almost here. Get ready. There will be no signs of the second coming of Christ. That's one post that we need to have in the ground. The second post we need to have in the ground is what we read in chapter 23 and what will be reiterated in chapter 24 of Matthew. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, verse 34. Matthew chapter 24, verse 34. Whatever Jesus was talking about when he said in verse 2, Do you not see that all these, all these things, surely I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Whatever he was talking about. And whatever question he's answering in verse 3, it has to be predicated on this fact, verse 34. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Jesus puts a time bound on these events and these signs that we're going to see. It was going to happen in that day. A generation is about 30 or 40 years. If Jesus said this around 30 A.D., I don't know, kids, if you can do the math, but 30 plus 40 gets me to 70 A.D. when Jerusalem was destroyed. Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and everything preceding verse 34, at least, in Matthew chapter 24. So Jesus talks about some signs. And what are the signs that Jesus is talking about that would occur in that generation? It appears here that he's talking about the generation up to 70 A.D., Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. This is going to be a tumultuous time. This is going to be a time where the, uh, the future of Jerusalem is at stake, when there is going to be a war, and the common idea was that the Messiah is going to establish an earthly kingdom. You remember that was a prevalent thought among Jesus' Uh, followers, that Jesus is here to establish an earthly kingdom. Well, if that is the idea, that Jesus is going to establish an earthly kingdom, and I see this turmoil, then it would be a really good time for me to get people to begin to believe that I'm the Messiah, try and get people to follow me, because we see this political pressure coming on Jerusalem. If someone could stand up and say, hey, I'm the Messiah, follow me, then it'd be very easy to get a following. And you would be a national hero if you could get people behind you and get people to, uh, to withstand the Roman assault. But Jesus' kingdom wasn't earthly, and he wasn't going to defend Jerusalem. In John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus said, John 18, 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. There were going to be false Christs that were going to come. And they were going to try to deceive people, which is to be expected in a time of turmoil like this, that people would be gullible and would be susceptible to something like that. So he said there's going to be false Christ. Go on and look at verses 6 and 7. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See, you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. There were going to be wars and rumors of wars. Tacitus, a Roman historian, said of this period around 70 A.D., notice what he says. The history on which I'm entering is uh, that of a period of rich in disasters, terrible with battles, 
torn by civil struggles, horrible even in peace. Four emperors fell by the sword. There were three civil wars, more foreign wars, and often both at the same time. History tells us that the time period around 70 AD was fraught with political turmoil. There were wars. There were rumors of wars. They did not have CNN in 70 AD. So if you, there was a war going on, you wouldn't see it on the news. You'd hear about it. If it wasn't in your area, you'd hear rumors of it. Someone might come into town and say, did you hear they're fighting up north of here? There's rumors of wars. History aligns with the fact that Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. It goes on and said that there were going to be earthquakes in verse 7. Nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. If you talk to people today, many times they'll cite the numerous earthquakes that are going on as if something's brewing, that God is getting ready to do something to the earth because the, earthquake is, the earth is quaking and earthquakes are happening. Jesus, again, is talking about what was happening in that time, in that generation, and history tells us that there were numerous earthquakes at that time. One writer wrote, as to, the earth, as to earthquakes, many are mentioned by writers during a period just previous to 70 AD. Noted in history, there were earthquakes in Crete, Smyrna, Miletus, Chios, Samos, Laodicea, Hierapolis, Colossae, Campania, Rome, and Judea. It is interesting to note that the city of Pompeii was much damaged by an earthquake occurring on February 5th, 63 AD. So leading up to 70 AD, to the destruction of Jerusalem, there were numerous earthquakes. History records that for us. That aligns with what Jesus said would happen prior to 70 AD. He also said in verse 7 that there were going to be famines. For nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Keep your, your finger there in Acts 24, or Matthew 24, but look at Acts chapter 11 with me. We have this recorded in 7, actually, but we have this recorded in the Bible itself. In Acts chapter 11, verse 27. Acts chapter 11, verse 27. And in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. There were going to be famines. We have a famine recorded here in Acts chapter 11 that occurred prior to 70 A.D. Go back to Matthew chapter 24. Jesus says that there was going to be persecution. In Matthew 24, beginning verse 9, Then they shall deliver you up to, the, to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Jesus said persecution was going to ramp up prior to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Well, we know about that persecution, don't we? Because it is... Uh, recorded numerous times in the, the Bible for us. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin. Uh, they were beaten in Acts chapter 5. Stephen was stoned to death in Acts chapter 7. Herod uh, Agrippa killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he, he saw that it pleased the Jews, he needed further to seize Peter also in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. Paul the Apostle Paul stood before Galileo, the proconsul of Achaia, in Acts chapter 18, verse 12. He stood before Felix, a Roman governor, in Acts chapter 24. He stood before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 25. 
And he, was actually, he was finally allowed to present his case before Caesar. These are just a few examples of persecution going on in that day and time prior to 70 A.D. Jesus said that the gospel would be preached to all before the events that he's talking about happened. Look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. The gospel had to be preached to all nations before the end could come. Did that happen before 70 A.D.? It did. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. Colossians 1, verse 23, If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. The gospel had to be preached to all the world. Paul said it had been preached to all the world prior to 70 A.D. Jesus also said that there would be turmoil in families. And back in chapter 10 of Acts, Matthew 24, Jesus said, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. You can imagine in a, a time of extreme persecution and distress that there would be betrayal in families. That's natural to ex expect that to happen. In fact, Jesus' own family didn't believe in him. It is natural that this would occur in other families as well, that there would be turmoil in families during this time. And then... The abomination of desolation, which causes many people concern as to what this means. Notice verse 24, or verse 15 of Acts, Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. The abomination of desolation. Is that the Russian army? Is that communist uh, forces. Turn back in the book of Daniel to chapter 9 where we read about this abomination of desolation. And Jesus is connecting what is happening here in this time in that generation with the prophecy that was made in Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9 look at beginning of verse 21. In a prophecy that's talking about the Messiah Jesus is saying it's going to be fulfilled when the temple is destroyed. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 21, Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and we 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war of desolations are determined. Then he shall come and then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. 
And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even the, the, until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. The abominations of desolate. Abominations shall be one who makes desolate. The abominations of desolation. Jesus said they, they would see that coming. He says that's in connection with the Messiah, and the prophecy of the Messiah in Daniel chapter 9. It is reference to one, uh, to reference to the Roman army who would come and desolate Jerusalem. Look in Luke chapter 21, beginning of verse 20. Luke 21, verse 20, where we see the parallel account about the destruction of Jerusalem. In Luke 21, beginning of verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know, then know that its desolation is near. Luke 21, verse 20. Verse 21. Those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. Jesus is talking about the Roman army when he says the abomination of desolations. When you see that, that army coming to desolate the city, then the time is here. And so it is talking, when Jesus mentions the abomination of desolations, talking about the army that was coming to destroy Jerusalem. And then Jesus tells us what their response should be, beginning in verse 16. Look at Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 16. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath day. Remember what I said at the beginning about any interpretation of a passage you make. You need to let the context help define what the, the context means. This cannot be talking about the end of the world. None of what we've been reading about, none of the signs that we can be, have been reading about could be talking about the end of the world. Why? Because if this is the end of the world and the destruction of the world, your house, you're not going to have time to go into the house and get anything out of it. And why would it uh, matter if you're in the field? Why would you want to go back and get your clothes if this is the end of the world? You aren't going to need your clothes anymore. And why would it matter if you're pregnant or if you're nursing babies? I imagine that Joseph and Jasmine would be pretty happy right now if it was the end of the world because they wouldn't have to stay up all night with the baby crying. This isn't talking about the end of the world. That won't matter. Why would it matter that your flight would be in winter or on the Sabbath day if this is the end of the world? Who cares? In fact, if it's in the winter, it's going to get real hot. It's not going to matter if this is the end of the world. This cannot be talking about the end of the world. Now, this is the context. Jesus said it was going to happen in that generation, and these things were going to proceed it, and you better be hoping that it's not on the Sabbath day or in winter or that you're pregnant or nursing. This is not talking about the end of the world. The context demands this is talking about something else. It's talking about when Jerusalem would be destroyed. Jesus goes on and talks about terrible affliction that was coming in Matthew chapter 24, beginning verse 21. For then there will be great uh, tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, no, nor shall ever be. Unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. There was going to be terrible tribulation. The historian Josephus says this. He says, Roman soldiers went in numbers into the lanes of the city with their swords drawn. 
They slew those whom they overtook without mercy and set fire to the houses whether the Jews were fled, where, uh, where, whither the Jews were fled, and burnt every soul in them, and laid waste a great many of the rest. And when they were come to the houses to plunder them, they found in them entire families of dead men, and the upper rooms full of dead corpses, that is, of such as died by the famine. Then they stood in horror at this sight, and went out without touching anything. But although they had this commiseration for such as were destroyed in that manner, yet had they not the same for those who were still alive. But they ran every one through whom they met with, and obstructed the very lanes with their dead bodies, and made the whole city run down with blood, to such a degree, indeed, that the fire of many houses was quenched with these men's blood. And they had no mercy, and they killed anyone that they came in contact with. There was great affliction. Josephus went on and estimated that over one million Jews died during the destruction of Jerusalem. One million Jews died, and another 97,000 were carried away as slaves. The Roman armies would let people in, but they wouldn't let people out. And the city was full of people whom they destroyed. Terrible afflictions. Jesus goes on and mentions again that false Christs and prophets would arise. Verse 23, that if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Opportunistic false teachers were going to arise and take advantage of the situation. You know, when there are uncertain times and even fearful times, people are prone to look for some type of guidance that goes beyond what the Bible teaches. That was happening in Jesus' day. When these uncertain times would arise, when people are fearful, they're prone to be led astray into error. You know what hasn't happened or hasn't changed in 2,000 years after that? The same thing happens today, doesn't it? When there's political unease, when there's turmoil, when there's fears, when there's a COVID-19 pandemic, people are ready to follow the false teacher who might lend some type of idea that there's some type of vision from God or some type of message that gives them some type of assurance. False Christ and false prophets would arise. And then there'd be signs in heaven. In Matthew chapter 29, beginning verse 31, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the, signs of the, the, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send His angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. This language, while somewhat mysterious, is often used in the Old Testament, and it is connected with the fall of nations. I've got several listed there. You may not be able to read them. I'll call them out for you. But look at Isaiah chapter 13, verse 10. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 10, talking about the destruction of Babylon in Isaiah 13, verse 10. Isaiah 13, verse 10 says, For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light, the sun will be darkened and it's going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. This is the type of apocalyptic language that the Bible uses to talk about nations falling. He's using that around the destruction of Jerusalem here. 
Some other passages, if you're taking notes for your reference in the future, Isaiah 13, verse 3, talks about Babylon in this way. Isaiah 34, verses 4 through 6, talk about the destruction of Edom with similar language. Isaiah 34, 4 through 6. Judah is described, it's it's, uh, destruction in Jeremiah 4, verses 1 through 6, and 23, uh, uh, chapter 4, verses 23 through 28. Jeremiah 4, 1 through 6. Jeremiah 4, 23 through 28. Um, Egypt, its destruction is discussed in Ezekiel chapter 32, verses 7 and 8. The nation's destruction is described in Joel chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Nineveh's destruction in Nahum chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Israel's destruction in Amos chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, and verse 9. And so that... I want to remind you, and it goes along with the idea that this would be around the destruction of Jerusalem. I want to remind you that this language that Jesus is discussing, these events that Jesus is discussing, are time-bound. Back in Matthew chapter 24, look at verse 34 again. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So everything that Jesus has been talking about prior to verse 35 were going to happen within 30 to 40 years of his saying that. That's around 70 A.D. And it fits with all the events that happened around the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Jesus was not giving signs of the end of the world. Now there's just some discussion as to what Jesus is talking about in the remainder of chapter 24. And that gets back to whether or not the disciples were asking one question or two. I want to tell you the implications of that really aren't that significant. Whether Jesus continues the rest of the context talking about the destruction of Jerusalem or if he talks there about the actual end of the world, there's not a lot of significance to that because he doesn't give any signs beyond that. There are no signs. And so if he's talking about the end of the world, I don't see signs here that tell me that I have a warning for that. If he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, it goes on with the idea that he's talked about that there's coming judgment. But I want you to notice verses 38 through 41. Because there are some who would like to find the rapture in these verses. Look at verses 38 through 41. For as in the days before the flood, when they were, eat, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Aha. Remember last week we talked about people who believe in the rapture think that all of a sudden there are going to be cars that are careening out of control. One lady in a Toyota will be taken. One lady in a Honda will be not. One man will be in a truck driving and will be taken. The other will be on a motorcycle and will be not. Is that what we have here? Is this a picture of the rapture? Well, again, we have to make this harmonize with the rest of the scriptures. And we showed for last week, the scriptures are very clear that the rapture could not happen because it would contradict teachings about what would happen at the end of the world. So what does this mean? What does it mean that there would be uh, some taken and others who would be not taken? I think... A good explanation can be found there in verse 38. Look at verse 38. 
For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, in verse 39, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. What happened when the flood came? Who got taken away, the wicked or the righteous? The wicked got taken away, didn't they? The wicked were not swept away. The wicked were wiped away, right? The wicked were not removed from the world into heaven. The wicked were destroyed. And so when it talks about two men will be in the field, one taken and the other left, I believe it's talking about those who are taken will be the ones who are destroyed, the ones who didn't heed the warning, who weren't prepared. They were taken away. Whether and destroyed, whether that's at the end of the world or whether that's at the destruction of Jerusalem, those who weren't prepared were destroyed. They were taken away. I don't believe this is talking about a rapture. Finally tonight, look at verse 45 of Matthew chapter 24. There was a warning to the people of that day, and the warning is applicable to us as well. Matthew chapter 45, or 24, beginning of verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and an hour when he's not aware of. And he'll cut him in two and appoint with him his apportion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That passage tells you and tells me that we need to be doing the Lord's will because we don't know when we're going to stand before him in judgment. And we need to be prepared whenever that would happen to be. I hope the things we've talked about tonight have been helpful and have clarified a passage perhaps that has been confusing uh, and uh, has caused uh, reason for concern. I think we can look at the not talking about because of the context and what it says to us. What about you tonight? Are you prepared for Christ's coming? There will be no warnings. It could happen at any time. We need to be prepared at all times. And if you're not prepared tonight, can we help you get ready? If we can, will you let us know while we stand and sing?